0: is something to be very aware of that women before the hashtag me too movement had about seven percent access to capital, which is not a whole lot, however, more than they did directly afterwards. so the first year after hashtag me too it plummeted down to two point two because the initial response from men in positions of power who made these decisions was, oh well, let's just close the door entirely <laughs> and not deal with it at nah. all and you know' <laughs> it's like it's <laughs> terrific. <laughs> (laughs) Awesome. So what we wanted to work on is like, okay, we're not here to like shame or blame anybody. We're trying to focus on what actually works, you know, what works for all of us. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business
1: method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds, entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools and tactics of high performance online entrepreneurs and high caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this. This happened. Now, let's jump in today's show.
0: The Business Method.
1: Hey, listeners, welcome to the Business Method Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and we have another amazing episode coming to your earbuds right now. Sylvia Christman is a good friend, fellow podcaster, and one of the most impressive location independent entrepreneurs that I know. Sylvia started out traveling the world solo back in 1999 and has been location independent for nearly two decades. On top of that, she has worked in and with the tech scene with some major players and high level executives. For many years, as she continued to live out her dreams of traveling and building business, she noticed many people wanted to learn more about her and follow her. Over the years, Sylvia has built up a pretty impressive amount of influence, rubbing shoulders with some of the most well-known entrepreneurs in the world, and now hosting the DNX podcast, which is one of the top English-speaking podcasts in Germany and also very popular around the world. Today we chat with Sylvia about handling influence, her struggles as a solo female traveler and entrepreneur, the change in business environment and importance of a stronger female presence, and we dive into the importance of podcasting and how it's helped play a major role in both of our careers. Without further ado, Sylvia Chrisman. Entrepreneur systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Hey listeners, I want to welcome my good friend Sylvia Christman to the show, calling in from New York City. Sylvia, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, when we were chatting before we started recording, you were doing... The long lost art of sewing buttons on shirts. And I'm, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Okay. Please tell the listeners. I'd love to uh, let them know why, why, what you were getting out of sewing your buttons on your shirts.
0: Well, I've been traveling a lot this past month, um, and I was on stage giving keynotes, and workshops, and working with clients on intensives, and I just feel like I got. Um, little burned out. And so today I just spent the whole day just uh, Netflixing documentaries and engaging in soothing activities and buttons and sewing buttons is one of them. I just find it incredibly <laughs> soothing to simply sew on these beautiful new buttons to one of my favorite jackets that I carry with me all around the world. And the buttons were sort of I don't know. they don't look as, they don't look stage ready anymore. So I wanted this beautiful jacket to look stage ready again with my new beautiful new buttons.
1: Got it. And I, I mentioned to you, I thought New York City would be the best place in the world to get buttons. But you got them somewhere else. Do you want to share where you got them?
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, I Amazon primed them like everything else <laughs> in my life. Uh, I'm sure anybody that travels a lot does the same thing. My Amazon Prime account is my lifeline. (laughs) I ordered them before I arrived. I arrived here late last night and I ordered them two days prior when I was still in Lisbon to have them drop shipped here. So by the time I arrived and I opened up the mailbox this morning, I was really excited that my buttons had already (laughs)
1: arrived. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a really fun task. This is kind of like I use tasks like this as little productivity hacks. So if I get tired of working on the computer or whatever project I'm working on, I'll go do the dishes or, you know, clean the house. And I still feel productive, like either doing the dishes and cleaning the house while, um, kind of resting and taking a break from work. And so I think what happens is like some of that stress is released and that cortisol is let go from our bodies. And, but I still feel like incredibly productive because, you know, doing the dishes is a part of, the thing that I like to do on a regular basis to keep the kitchen clean anyway. So it sounds like sewing buttons might be a good task to put in there in the middle of the day when you wouldn't need a break from a project.
0: <laughs> I should sew on more buttons. I should really get on that. I don't think I have clothing that have that many buttons, but Maybe. No, I, I agree with you, though. I, I, it's one of the reasons I like working from home, which is why I like to rent and be and live in beautiful places and spaces where I can work and live at home. Because for me to break up my productivity with yoga, exercises, making food, cleaning up, arranging my closet, or just doing these little tasks in between focused work, is really helpful for me to break up the day and stay highly engaged and interested. So especially because I work so much around inspiration and I need ideas and I have to step away from what I'm doing frequently and usually when I engage in a um what what's the call this is dextile task? Can't think of the English word know. right now. Yeah, a task where you engage your hands. Um the Uh, You know, it'll spark new ideas. If I'm trying to write something or I'm I'm preparing for an interview or I'm preparing for an idea or something I wanted to write or talk about or do in a workshop, it's so much easier for me to come up with that if I'm in motion, if I'm moving around or if I'm doing maybe a headstand. I have my yoga mat rolled out right here next to me, next to my buttons because I've been (laughs) doing that all day. Yeah, I just like go do a yoga stretch because I needed to create more space in my head yeah. For new ideas, because I think I've had so much input over the last two weeks yeah. that I need to, you know, I need to, I need to recalibrate everything in order to actually have the brain capacity to produce new things.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and a fun fact, I just thought of this when you were talking about it. Um, When we do activities with kind of like repetitive hand movements. So washing the dishes or sewing buttons or maybe giving somebody a massage or something like that. It actually releases oxytocin in our body, which makes us feel even better. That's the same chemical that's released when we we give people hugs or cuddle mm-hmm. and, yeah. or have a nice dinner with somebody. It's the bonding chemical, they say. And um, so that kind of makes sense. Sewing buttons, washing dishes, you know, makes us feel a little bit better then we can go back to our task or whatever we're working on or not.
0: Yeah. And you're right about that because the, our hormonal levels really dictate how focused we can be. What I also do is I, I go, you know, if you go and go for a run or engage in a physical activity for 30 minutes, you'll have about a two hour window of boosted yes. you know, of um, focus. Yeah. That yes. That you can use. So I make sure that after my morning routine, my run, my yoga or whatever activity I want to engage in, that's my the first two hours of focused activity where I don't can't take calls or anything that would distract me from in focused output that I need to do.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that quite often, like at six, seven, APM, like I'll get um, tired from working, and I'll, I'll go do a, uh, for a walk or some sort of physical activity, and then about like thirty to forty five minutes later, I get this boost, and I have another about hour and a half or two hours of productive levels that I can put out before I go to bed, and that's very very effective, I think. But I mean, even on
0: days like today where I could barely, I was so tired, all I wanted to do was be in bed and watch Netflix, uh-huh. but I got up three times to go for a walk. So I had I got in like three good, two bike rides, you know, one, I went to the steam room, you know, had like a quick chat with some friends who was doing, who were doing a hat making workshop and, uh, one hour long walk, you know, in between my Netflixing activities and that too, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> because, you know, if I need to, you know, when you really need to decompress, it has to be an active decompression, you know, just, yeah. Just lying down alone isn't going to, you know, decompress you. It has to be a mixture of movement. I always say move a muscle, change your thought, you know, figuring out a way to break a sweat to really clear your body, your mind, and also relax the muscles in the meantime. So I'm hoping that tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be refreshed and recharged.
1: Well, I, I think you will, especially with all that button sewing.
0: I mean, I have to hit the buttons. They're really pretty. Maybe I'm just going to wear my new jacket tomorrow. You know, i all excited about
1: it. Okay. okay, Sylvia, I want the listeners to get to know you more as the entrepreneur and amazing woman that you are. I know a bit about your background. I was fortunate enough to be on your podcast, and then um, I'm glad to have you on the show so our listeners can get to know you a bit better. But... Um, How did you? I know you've been traveling and you've been an entrepreneur for something like, well, traveling for seventeen years. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's been a long time. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't call me a digital nomad because we already talked about that. Yeah. Because back then, I was sending home faxes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that you were doing it back in the day. When did you start traveling? 1999 wow and so that was right out of high school for you probably
0: abitur yeah that was i I grew up in germany so for any family i grew up in germany we don't have high schools we have gymnasium and um with the gymnasium you end with the abitur and um that's more like a junior College degree. So, like the first two years of college are the equivalent of the last two years of Abitur. Even though the education system has changed a lot in Germany, too. I think they changed it and then they changed it back. But people would know what an Abitur is. So, after my Abitur, (laughs) I packed up and I did what many, many Europeans do. And I took my first year to travel and hitchhike around the world and discover the world and kind of figure out where I wanted to go from there and um, that's pretty much what I did. I just never really came back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're still on your your gap year. <laughs> I'm <still on> it. <laughs> it's been a long yeah. gap year, that's for sure.
0: It <laughs> extended slightly.
1: <laughs> so so what, what what do you think kept you going?
0: I, you know, it, it, Interesting question, because today would have been my grandfather's 100th and second birthday, and he was my hero. He was my best friend. And he took me around Europe traveling. So I spent so much time adventuring with my both of my grandparents, but I was very influenced by my grandfather and his worldview, trying to find magic in the world and discovering countries and cultures and understanding them and their socioeconomic subcontexts and learning languages and about history and archeology. span And we're always on a treasure hunt. And to this day, I carry around a crystal that he and I found in one of our adventures. And so I would say that I've always been that way because that's the world. I I was the youngest of all of his grandchildren. And I think that we just had a really special bond and traveling and adventuring and trying to find a world outside your own is, is in genetic, it's in my genes. And I, unlike the other, my cousins and siblings, mm, I don't know. I just, I probably just had the audacity to live it out to all extent. And I never felt the need to come home and fit in. Because perhaps because I was the youngest, I was giving the freedom to be whoever I wanted to be, and so I just did.
1: When did you, after you started traveling, when did you start your quote-unquote entrepreneurial career?
0: Mm, well, I was a hustler by nature, and, and you know, at some point you run out of money when <laughs> <And> you travel. <laughs> so the people you meet on the road. Are people who are entrepreneurial, and most of them lead very unconventional lives, and they have unconventional businesses. Back then, they were often in the shipping business, and so I ended up on the entrepreneurial path very quickly, because for me, it was always about, how am I going to make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time so I can go back traveling? Mm-hmm. And um, that's how it all started. I eventually ended up in the in the states because my my father and my stepmom decided it was a really good idea for me to have an education, and uh, so that's how I accidentally immigrated into the U.S. And I did the I did my undergrad degree, and those I think two four years was supposed to be. I did it in two and a half. Took the fast track line because that was really restrictive for mm-hmm. somebody like me to be in school for that long. So I just did that as quickly as possible. And from there, I ended up in the startup, tech, media environment because I, I loved it. And with that, I had to travel a lot and um, I just wanted to have my freedom. So anything that was entrepreneurial and working with serial entrepreneurs that had interesting business models that gave them freedom was what shaped me from a very young age.
1: Where would you, when, do, when would you say that you created basically the business or personal brand that you're running today? I know I'm sure it was a steady evolve, uh, evolution, but, mm. um, when would you say it was like, okay, now this is, this is the baby that I'm working on and this is what it's going to be.
0: Um, uh, I mean, maybe last year. Kidding. <laughs> 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 I think intentionally, I worked on it last year. Before uh-huh. that, I would say it was the ten years of accidentally building a brand by being me Yeah people started paying attention to. Um, so if I if I if I really paid attention to what people are fascinated by the most is my lifestyle, my lifestyle choices, and the unconventional path that I forged for myself as an independent woman, as a businesswoman, as somebody who trains and coaches people into living authentic lives, figuring out their own sense of freedom, but also becoming inspirational leaders in their own right. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, I think that People started following me when I started blogging in 2008, I think it was, 2008, 2009, because I decided that I actually, the very first blog post I ever wrote was um, Why I Can't Write. I've you know, <laughs> always been, yeah, I'm serious, because I've had such a fear of writing. I've always found school very difficult because I wanted to be a straight-A student, I wanted to succeed at everything that I do, and I'm very stubborn about it, but I was, I am very dyslexic, so writing was very difficult for me, and so to come out of my own shell and shadow, I decided to start blogging, and I was going to tell the world my story with every typo and that I was going to make, and I was simply going to embrace it, and somewhere with that, I still, I got an email from somebody that was one of the original people on my original email list who's still following me, um, who sent me a note about having followed my career for the last 10 years and being absolutely fascinated by my work and wanting to set up a time to chat, which I thought was incredible. People have listened for quite some time now.
1: Yeah. I've noticed something really interesting um, that, and you kind of mentioned this a lot of influencers however you want to define it, but we'll define it as um, people that have a significant following and brand and influence from that. And so a lot of people are just doing their thing for many years. And then somebody kind of drops the idea in their head that they're an actual influencer and things shift. And and that same thing happened with me. Like uh, a few years ago, somebody said, Oh yeah, Chris, you're, you're a good influencer. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know what that means, you know, and then I heard it a few other times. Um, I'm curious, how was that for you? When did you realize like, Oh, maybe, maybe I am an influencer and this is something here that I can use to make more, actually make a, a business and make more good in the world.
0: Mm. So 10 years ago when I started doing that, I realized people wanted to follow me around the world and on my journeys around the world. Cause I, uh, had this absolutely unshakable need to stay on the road, be on the road and this time tell my story because a lot of times when I, you know, quit a job, gave up a business to go travel, I was hiding it. Yeah. And by coming out of the shadows, I, um, it felt really liberating to me. And with that, I took people on this liberation journey and I think for many years, I still very often wanted to go back into the shadows or try to fit into the norm. Mm. And I say that because when you're a woman in this world who defies convention, criticisms are loud. Yeah. And... I think that sometimes it impacted my ability to earn a living. And so I would sometimes try to go back into the shadows at the same time. Every time I defied that and every time I stuck to my authentic voice, my courage and my strength is where the most opportunities, the most came out of it. And it took me quite some time to understand it, that I will never be able to make a living trying to fit in. Yeah. Um, And I will always be successful if I listen to my heart, own my voice, and lead with strength and courage.
1: So I I'd love to talk about that more cuz I think it's pretty significant on what you've created and I admire other women that have done similar things not just building a business but also choosing to travel the world sometimes solo sometimes not solo and that's not the easiest thing because a friend and I were talking one day and he mentioned me he's from the UK he said well if you're a man and you're white and you're middle class you have significant le- significant amount of uh, less challenges in the world than a lot of other people do. And I think as a lot of entrepreneurs, especially world traveling entrepreneurs that are male and middle class and white, they don't see that. And I'm sure there's some challenges like just And I see it all the time, you know, being in a relationship with an entrepreneurial female or friends, female friends, where they can go to a country and they're treated completely different just because maybe they have blonde hair or just because um, they're a female traveling on their own or just because they're a female and they're an entrepreneur in an incredibly massively male-dominated environment. And we don't see that. And, and for you, you mentioned the voices are very loud. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the, the challenges that, that you have overcome or would like to bring to the surface for other people that are in similar spots as you?
0: Yeah, so I think I was very lucky, again, that my grandfather and my family always let me be me. And so I never thought that I couldn't take a seat at the table. I never thought that there were limitations to what I could do. So traveling around the world as a blonde, tall, blonde, female, single female by herself seemed like a good idea, and nobody ever told me that I couldn't. Now, um, and I still have, you know, I do get these questions quite a lot that women actually inquire about my travels because, and they usually preface it by saying well you know it's it's too dangerous to travel alone and my answer is always well I always have Um, not to say that it's not uncomfortable at times you do develop street smarts very quickly (laughs) and that has served me very well in my life I just have a really good ability to read a room read a circumstance and also understand how to position myself accordingly that is something that you have to learn and yes also not pay attention to what other people say or think. Because when you, yeah. So what, what I work on with women a lot is Really understanding that the limiting beliefs that women struggle with far more than men do in the entrepreneurial realm are not um, Accidental they don't come from nowhere. It's not that women wake up and they just seem to have no confidence. It's because societal dictates consistently chip away at our self-esteem and to overcome The societal voices or the voices that women often get from their families or circumstances, education, you know, are quite loud. And so to level up professionally, to overcome that, to compete in a realm that's not designed for us to perhaps raise capital in that or create a product that would have to be funded by male investors who can't actually see how valuable it is is rather difficult so you you have to be twice as good you know have to you have to be twice as good work four times as hard to get 80% of the credit for what you do <laughs> 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 that would be that would be an average and at the same time i personally think it's really well worth it
1: yeah what have been some of the most important were significant moments of your seventeen year location independent entrepreneurial career.
0: You know, I would say the last few weeks have been quite <laughs> Yeah, Spartan. no I yeah, it's it's been quite impactful for me because I was at if you had told me last year that I'd go back into tech, I would have called you crazy. Mm -hmm. Because I was I feel that the tech bros broke tech and I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. I was burned out, tired, ignored, um, undervalued, underpaid, you know, watched men that were not qualified be paid more in positions that, you know, into senior management positions that uh, women would have been so much better qualified for, including myself. And so this past year, I just ventured back into it. And so having gone to incredible, way too many conferences, I will admit that, and speaking and doing workshops, um, I've noticed a substantial shift I never thought was possible. And it's that, first of all, I'm being treated very differently. Could be my age, could be my circle, could be the changing times that we're living. Um, but I definitely see that even men engage. You see the the straight white man, the unexamined gender, all of a sudden engaging in conversations with each other about inclusion and, you know, what they're observing and what they can do better and asking questions and You know, when I walk up to a group of men standing together talking business, they open up the circle and engage me in the business conversation rather than hitting on me. And every single day over the last two weeks, I had at least two or three moments, not just one, where I thought, wow, this is incredible. I'm so impressed by this change.
1: It's incredible. Do you think... I, mean, I know you mentioned maybe the changing of times and people opening up to that. Um, is there anything else that you think may be helping make that shift?
0: Well, I think conference organizers and people and, you know, are more conscious of the fact that they're bringing in female voices and they're making space for us, you know, and yeah. Um, the more you bring us in as women who are success, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I am successful, I am qualified, I can speak on all these topics, and, you know, having the room for it, and also noticing that women are engaging with each other very differently. Yeah. I feel very privileged that I'm surrounded by strong, successful, inclusive women, not women that compete with each other but support each other, and that has become a driving force in my life that wherever i go i see my people women like me supporting each other and you know creating more space for more women to come in as much as men creating space for us to stand there be heard and have be and and with that be successful and also change the landscape of what business looks like today what it looks like to be an entrepreneur why you and how how you can lead how you can become an influential leader and what we really want to accomplish in a world that is very decentralized where you know entrepreneurs have businesses that reach across countries cultures distances and time and how we really want to lead as thought leaders in this space the message we want to create create and share And how we want to run our teams accordingly and who who these people are going to be, the products and services that we put out into this world that are inclusive of this change and maybe, you know, drive this change overall.
1: Very, Very well put. What are some ways, Sylvia, that you apply the influence that you have to help do two things, grow your business and to have a positive impact on the world?
0: Well, I I educate men on what they can do because I think that the patriarchy and the stated top-heavy systems enslave us all. So I try to do my best to enable men to be inspirational thought leaders in their own right. uh, That feels fulfilling to them. And I try my best to bring women along with me so that we can create a more colorful, fulfilling, and enriching world for all of us.
1: Um, so this came up as you were saying that. I'm really curious about your thoughts on this. Um, I've seen this uh, as well as you, more more inclusion of women in the entrepreneurial, location and independent entrepreneurial world, and the tech world, the startup world, which is awesome, right? But and it seems like the awareness is coming out more and more on a regular basis everywhere you go. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think positive things are happening. But then you have instances like number one, the biggest biggest man in the news stories today, Donald Trump. Then mm-hmm. also places like Brazil just elected mm-hmm. a president that's nearly, if not fully, fascist and very oppressive for a lot of women in their perspectives so what do you think is happening to society when you're still seeing leaders of very powerful countries of massive countries huge countries be elected on this level and what do you think what is what's happening (laughs) you know because on one level you see a lot of progress and then you see a brick wall
0: hmm Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I can't speak that much to Brazil. I have um, not that much knowledge, but I can speak to um, Donald Trump at my observations of that. Um, I think it's the cause and effect relationship that um, frustration makes people elect someone like this and also the progress that i've seen over the last year and a half in particular is a direct result of him being elected because that's mm. what made he's like the perfect antichrist right <laughs> like it just <laughs> made it made people on an economic level jump into action because changing policy back influencing him on for, on the political realm is difficult however what we have influence over is economics right Right. We can choose what products and services we spend our money on, how we lead, who we work for, you know, what companies we raise capital for, and and they, where where's the money, you know, <laughs> follow this money supply line, and and so what I've seen is a lot more women jumping into action, demanding what they're worth, um, creating their own companies, stepping away from trying to feed into dated systems, really amplifying their own worth and abilities and also how those leadership qualities actually yield higher returns, but drive better results, you know, make for better company cultures, you know, speaking up, you know, that's where we had the, the Google walkout last week or the week before, you know, it's like, it's, it's a direct result of, you know, knowing that complacency is not an option right now. And yeah. so what we have is this sort of forward momentum, what we also had is something to be very aware of, that women before the hashtag me movement had about 7% access to capital, which is not a whole lot. Um, however, more than they did directly afterwards. So the first year after hashtag me too, it plummeted down to 2.2 because the initial response from men in positions of power who made these decisions was, oh, well, let's just close the door entirely (laughs) and not deal with it at all. (laughs) And, you know, it was like, terrific, (laughs) awesome. So what we wanted to work on is like, okay, we're not here to like shame or blame anybody. We're trying to focus on what actually works, you know, what works for all of us. What's a leadership style and a way of being in this world today that works for you as a man that works for me as a woman that works for all of us that is enriching inspiring and that makes impactful and influential leaders because at the end of the day people want to work for influential leaders and leaders often underestimate this because they're just looking for people to delegate to and there's a bit of an inherent disconnect so what we're looking for is really leadership styles for people Dare to step up to lead with courage and based on their core values, and you know, drive companies and teams into a direction that drives change. Mm -hmm. And so, I think now, you know, after our initial sort of setback, we're seeing a lot more progress in that, which is why I've felt, you know, which is why I'm particularly tired because I have also been called to action here and participation, but I'm also extraordinarily excited about the future that lays ahead.
1: I like that. And I know that you work a lot with leaders, um, high performance leaders, um, Mm -hmm. top executives, and you help them to transform during during periods of of rapid scale. Is this some of the structure that you work with them through that process?
0: Yeah, 100%. Because if you wanted to rapidly scale, you have to understand what actually helps people engage and want to work for you. You know, and one thing there, there's like there's three components to that. I think there's the you know of, of course you need systems and processes surprise you yeah. need like you need to understand how to be intentional with your time and set clear priorities translate your vision into a strategy into actionable steps and then have an execution roadmap that people on your team can follow you know those are the basics but then there's also the other component of that which is really understanding why is it that women actually and their leadership styles are more effective? Visionary leaders uh, that we're looking for, they embody qualities that are considered, that are actually inherently female, right? They're more collaborative, they're more inclusive, they um, have a high EQ, and female-run companies that have that They yield, I think there's a study from 2002 to 2014 where they were investigating Fortune 1000 and Fortune 500 companies. They yield 226% higher returns because of that. Right. So it's like, it's, it's my, my goal is to really draw attention to the fact that I don't need you to care about the social moral issues, but I want you to know that you are leaving a lot of money on the table. If you don't, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you're basically missing out if you don't care (laughs) because we're as entrepreneurs, we're opportunists, right? We're opportunists. We like opportunities. We like to see market opportunities where there's a product market fit of something that solves a problem that is well needed. So if we're looking at this from those angles, why don't we just focus on what works? Right. And that also includes really understanding that productivity um, by and large is driven by diet, sleep and exercise. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those good old debate that I have with, um, a lot of investors because they feel they just need to drive the entrepreneurs into burnout and exhaustion. And it's just like, well, I don't know, you know, 92% of them are uh, burned out or depressed and nobody talks about what, how much diet, sleep, and exercise actually impacts the ability to make good decisions, hard decisions, smart decisions in very high stress environments. And, you know, I mean, think about it this way, right? um nobody wants to talk about the fact that they're depressed and how diet influences this but yet you know 90% of your serotonin levels are produced in your gut and it's yeah. it's, it's again it's the same scenario it's like we don't have to talk about what you want to eat but you know like do you want to be depressed or do you want to be a high performance <laughs> executive you know like what, what what's it going to be
1: <laughs> yeah you know, it's interesting because it's such an ego thing with us, us males, you know, we, one person says, oh, I'll work 15 hours. The next guy says, I want to work 16 hours. The next mm-hmm. guy says, oh, you know, and then all of a sudden it becomes this culture of trying to outdo the next guy instead of like, hey, are we really being that effective, you know, Right. and, and sometimes it takes yeah, that perspective to look at, you know, those people questioning like, okay, what are you eating? What are you putting in your body? What type of exercise are you getting? You know, are you spending your time, or all the time around men? Are you spending your time around women? You know, are you are you spending time with your family and that sort of thing? And that all leads to a awesome, balanced life. But also, like you mentioned, the release of awesome neurochemicals in our body, which make us feel better and make us have a more fulfilled life, which is really cool.
0: And also, this is really important. It helps you be more focused. It boosts your memory. It builds your plasticity. You know, all the important things that if you want to be a founder or a high performance executive in this world, you need to think about that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. You can't
0: can't operate long term unless you're heavily medicated. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's true. In fact, a lot of CEOs are heavily medicated because there's not an emphasis on how they're actually fueling their body, their memory, their focus, and their sleep patterns to in order to perform well.
1: I want to change the subject just a little bit, Sylvia, and I have to um, talk about podcasting with you because we've been podcasting pals for uh, 2018 and sending some yeah. um, guests to both of our shows and helping each other out. And, um, I'm, I'm curious about how do you feel your influence has changed since you've become the host of a major podcast? So the listeners, I think, uh, we'll mention in the intro, but Sylvia, is it still the number one English podcast in Germany?
0: Um, we were, we bounce around between the the top tens. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. Gotcha. It well, goes back and forth. It's not always consistent depending on the podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That
1: makes perfect sense. I know. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. But how do you think your your influence has changed as uh, as now since you've been a podcast host?
0: Yeah, it, it was a bit surprising to me that we skyrocketed so quickly into the top tens. Uh, because I, I think I greatly underestimate my own influence very often. Mm-hmm. And um, it's definitely helped me, you know, put not only put a, be more vocal about my thoughts, but also be able to obviously interview thought leaders whose opinions and lives and lifestyles I find interesting. And with that, highlight ways of living and being and leading that are different from conventional thinking
1: what do you think your podcasting career looks like over the next few years
0: i love interviewing people and asking questions yeah so um being interviewed is very rare for me these days
1: (laughs) wow i'm flattered
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i I like it's it's the same with i am I like moderating at conferences because I can act. I, I want to be the one asking all the important questions. You know? Oh yeah. So I see this going on for quite some time because i really, really enjoy asking interesting people, sometimes tough questions that I thought invoking and, you know, hopefully inspire the audience.
1: Do you have a system or like a few, Of your favorite questions that you like to ask guests?
0: No, actually, I don't because the guests can be so different. I try to ask at least one or two challenging questions to each podcast guest because I. I think it's interesting to dive a little bit deeper. I'm rarely entertained when somebody's too rehearsed and keeps Mm -hmm. giving me the same answers. It's always like, okay, I'm sure you said this in every podcast you've been on. So I try to veer away from the professional realm that they're very comfortable in and, and try to get as much of a personal conversation as possible.
1: What are some ways that you do that? So like I'll I'll share with you my tactics and you may have noticed them. Like, I like to start the show off with uh, Sylvia sewing buttons in New York or something that's kind of off expectations to where the guest and the listeners um, can kind of relax a little bit, but also the listeners can kind of get into your world to see what you're Mm -hmm. experiencing and what you're doing and become a bit more human. Um, so they can relate to that. And then also the guest can uh, get a good laugh of whatever that person's doing or some, some small talk. And that way it brings us both onto the same level as opposed yeah. to, Oh, maybe they have a lot of pressure, um, or worry about what they're going to say on the podcast sort of thing. So I'm yeah. curious, uh, what are some of the things that you do to kind of bring that all together?
0: Yeah, I I do it very similarly. So my podcast is only 20 minutes long usually. And I make sure that I book a solid hour that I have at least 20 minutes prior to us starting the podcast to just chit chat and talk about life just so I can get some snippets of where they are and what's going on so I can build that into my line of questioning and make make them comfortable. So by the time we start the podcast um, that we have... We, you know, we already we're already in mid conversation, which feels really good and comfortable. And you know, you can you can lead the conversation comfortably in various different directions. What I find is interesting that those who don't want to chit chat and just keep saying, "I want," like, "Let's just get started. Let's just get started." Yeah. <laughs> you know, they 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 ultimately make it a lot harder to engage in a um, lighthearted conversation.
1: Yeah, I think they're less interesting guests, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but it's true. They're like usually the ones that they just, just put me to sleep, like trying to ask them questions because they won't engage on a personal level.
1: Exactly. I find the the, I would say my top favorite guests and also some of the best ranked podcasts that I've had are people that are like, no, I don't have a hard stop. You've got me until I'm done. And, and I understand people are, a lot of entrepreneurs are busy or like, Oh, I actually had another appointment scheduled and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we talked about this, like the, the people that, that want to come on. So, so here's my theory and I want to see if you agree. I think a lot of people want to have one night stands with podcasts where they just (laughs) come in. Yeah, it's so true. They just come in, do their thing and leave the next day and never talk to the podcast host again. And I think that it's cheap. I think it's really cheap. And I think it happens way too much because I know I'm getting emails one or two or three a day of people, oh, this person's so great. He should be on your podcast. She should be on your podcast. I'm like, well, maybe. You know, um, and, <laughs> yeah. right? and I find that like the more that I reach out to people, um, the better quality guests that I get as opposed or through warm networking, as opposed to people that are just cold emailing me to come on my show. Occasionally we get a great one. But I think like there's just just not enough people that they're like, oh, I, would, I just want to get on as many shows as possible so I can promote my new book or whatever it is. It's right. like, yeah. are you really creating a, a quality relationship and conversation. What's your
0: yeah. thought? Yeah, 100%. I think people that just want to just like quickly promote something end up being so boring. Yeah. And it also takes the joy out of it for me. Yeah. While you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about my podcast guest from last week. Um, it was so great. You know, we had the best conversation. Um, we, you know, I met him because he he was helping me with my shoulder pain randomly at an event. And we had one of the most we actually have one of the most engaging podcast episode I've had um, this month, you know, and, and that's only because it was just such a relaxed, intimate, fun, easygoing conversation where there was no real objective. He wasn't trying to sell anything. He wasn't trying to, you know, get out his, the main points of who he is. He was just there for the conversation and it made it. And you can always see by the listenership, yeah. Um that's the one those are always the ones that people listen to the most.
1: Yep. I agree completely. Completely. It's well, the
0: rehearsed ones that nobody wants to listen to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you have your bullet points, I can see, you know. Right. Your... <laughs> well, I think that makes a good show. Do you have anything else you want to share? Like I I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed this I hope I haven't had a, been been a boring host for you.
0: <laughs> you're not a boring host I always enjoy our conversations whether that's just when we catch up or or for podcasts. either way yeah it works for me no this is really enjoyable yeah um no that's it really I'm excited for anybody listening to come find me ask me questions I love questions
1: where can people find out about you
0: Yeah, so you can come to my website, which is sylviachrisman.com. On there, you'll find the link for our podcast. You'll also find the link of my little free mini series if you're interested in some of my work, I think, um, as well, which would be cool if you wanted to check that out. But yeah, and you can just send me questions. <laughs> right. I'll answer them all. <laughs>
1: Sylvia, I want to give you a huge thank you for taking away time from your busy day of sewing buttons to come on our show. And thank you so much for sharing your tips and tricks and all, you, all your wisdom. Also, I appreciate and enjoy our conversations as well. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody hey listeners thanks for joining us once again we wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five six seven and eight figure private masterminds these are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com that's thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you all on the next episode